This is our final sermon in our series, We Stand a Short King sermon series. And also, as you will learn, has been declared by Vince, um, probably the final sermon that is intentionally preached on the entirety of the books in First and Second Kings at Gilead. Check it out. I finally realized I should see more of you than I can. Rochelle and I have watched nine seasons of Amazing Race in the last month which they're only 11 or 12 episodes each. So it's fine. I did the math. It's like not much more than three full days out of a whole month. So like 10%, we like tithed the last month to the amazing race. It's fine. And there's this thing in the show. If you've never seen it, 11 teams racing around the world, there's this thing in which certain challenges can only be completed by one teammate or the other who will bungee jump into a canyon or yodel in the Alps or make a doll out of coconut husks. They, they have to choose often blindly. And there's this, there's this phenomenon during challenges like those where, where whichever person is not strapped into a harness learning to tango up a wall or, or paddling a traditional canoe through waters which were checked for crocodiles yesterday not recently enough. Whichever partner is on the sidelines stands by and lists to the camera all of the things their teammate is doing wrong, especially if the other person is struggling with the task. How if they just slow down or, or speed up or focus, it would be so much easier. They point out not just the problems in their approach to this particular task, but the problems in their personality that meant they were doomed from the beginning. The character flaws that make this challenge so challenging for them in particular. He can't dance. She doesn't have a good memory. They're a terrible swimmer. And, and it's not just those partners. When, when things get rough, the players turn on themselves. They go on about their own deficiencies. I'm no good at math. I can't carry a tune. I'm just not artistic. If they only had like a particular aptitude or experience, it would all be so easy. If only they had more gifts or different gifts or were a different kind of person, it wouldn't be so difficult. And the only thing that no one says or no one in the three full days that I have watched is that it is difficult. It's just difficult. It's designed to be difficult. That's why it's called a challenge. The only thing that no one says is that maybe they are not in fact a piece of shit, but the reason the task is not easy for them is because it's not easy. Learning a dance from someone who does not speak your language when you've been sleeping on planes for two weeks and there are a hundred people who grew up doing this dance from birth, looking on and laughing at you and it's being filmed for everyone you know to see and there's a million dollars at stake and someone you love is on the sidelines telling the camera person that they should have been the one to do it because you're not equipped. It's just hard. But no one has ever said to my knowledge, the reason my partner is struggling to dance this tango up a wall is not because of any deficiency on their part, but because Dancing a tango, even on the ground, is something you have to learn and struggle with and fail at 
It takes years of practice to do it well, and it's challenging under the best of circumstances, and much more so halfway up a wall on this TV show. Which is surprising because that's exactly the kind of nuance and humanity reality TV is known for. But instead, what you get every time is, he's terrible at this. It would be so much easier for me. Maybe the answer is, you are enough. This was Emily in staff meeting this week. She was not talking about the amazing race for some reason, but about first and second Kings. I had told the team I was going to preach the rest of these two books because I think you deserve it. And also let's be clear, we're never doing a Kings-based worship theme ever, ever again. Emily was offering an alternative because the team was struggling with my articulation of what these books are about. And I know you would not have giggled at this, but the people that you pay to be your spiritual leaders thought there was something funny about me saying that First and Second Kings is about people thinking they have a king-size hole when they actually have a god-size hole. about how they just keep trying to fill their God-sized hole year after year, but you cannot fill a God-sized hole with a king-sized person. And that's true. That's, that is what it's about. I stand by it. At the end of these two books, the nation is in ruins. Actually, it's been split into two nations, and they're both in ruins. The people have been exiled, Jerusalem has been sacked, the temple has been destroyed, and someone sits down to write these books to try to explain to the community what went wrong. How did we get here? Where did we go off track? Whose fault is it? And, and the books try to tell that story, how the people tried king after king after king, and, and none of them were what they needed. They all screwed up, they all failed, and, and even when they didn't, shout out to Josiah, it didn't matter because they were trying to fill a king-sized hole instead of a god-sized one, I explained again. And then before anyone could mute me in staff meeting, I pointed out, like a nerd, that these two books were originally one book and that that book also included First and Second Samuel. And I thought maybe I would preach all four of them because to understand these two books, you really have to go back to First Samuel 8 when the people ask for a king in the first place. They tell God they want a king so that they can be like the other nations. And God tells them that is a terrible idea. A king is going to seek his own power over your well-being. A king is going to exploit your labor. A king is going to take your children as concubines and soldiers. You don't want a king and you don't need one, God says. You have me. But the people persist. We want a king to go out ahead of us and fight our battles. Give us a king, make it easy. And God gives them a king or gives them kings, one after another, four books full. Some better, some worse, some shorter, some taller. Some the people stand, most they do not. 
but none of them with the breadth and depth to fill that God-sized hole? Maybe the answer is you are enough, which I took to be Emily's strategy to get me to stop talking, but which I also could immediately see was a better reading of this story. Because when the people ask for a king, they don't have a hole at all. They have a God. They have a God who is already with them and has been with them for a long time. A God who has liberated them and guided them and settled them in a place of abundance. They are not incomplete. They are not missing anything. They are not deficient in any way. They are enough. And I knew that was a better read, but it also made me throw up a little bit because I've preached that before, like several times. I've preached it many times to you. I've had it preached to me. I've been told it by friends. I've read it on countless inspirational Facebook posts from cousins I don't really have a relationship with. Remember, you are enough. And I've seen it so many places and heard it so many times and said it to so many others that at some point it starts to sound like bullshit or like whatever the opposite of a self-fulfilling prophecy is. Like if we have to tell ourselves over and over that we're enough, doesn't that mean that it's probably not true? Like if we were enough, wouldn't we know it? Couldn't we feel it? God tells the people, you are enough. Or maybe you and I together, we're enough. And the people say, then why do we still want a king? You've been with us this whole time. Why does it still feel like something's missing? Why do we still have to struggle and work and fail and fight our own battles? If we're enough, why are we still not up to the task? Why do we feel deficient? Why hasn't it gotten any easier? So they make their way through four books, through several hundred years worth of king after king after king thinking, if only we had, if only we could, if only we were, and it never gets any easier, or at least it never gets easy. It never is simple, uncomplicated, neat. They never feel like they have everything they need to get through the challenges they face. They never stop feeling that someone else could get through them better. But also somehow they do get through. Not without pain or struggle or failure, but they do get through because they are enough. And before you puke at hearing me say it again, not that kind of enough. Not the enough that means you're finished. The challenge is complete. It, you should expect smooth sailing from here on out. That's far enough, that's good enough, I've had enough. The enough that's an ending, not, not that enough. But there's another kind of enough. That means you're ready to begin. You have enough to meet the next challenge. 
brave enough to jump into that canyon or strong enough to paddle past the crocodiles, built up enough speed to tango your way up that wall. The enough that means you have what it takes. You're not done, but you're equipped. It won't be easy, but there's nothing you're missing. Enough to struggle, enough to fight your own battles, not alone, but together enough. Enough to get through that you're that kind of enough. I feel like I've spent a year telling myself I'm a piece of shit because everything seems so hard to me. I'm sure you have no idea what that's like. And I've spent a year thinking everyone else is also a piece of shit because they're so bad at it too. A year of cataloging our collective deficiencies, assuming that we must be missing something, that if we were just better, more complete people, things would be a lot simpler neater. A year assuming that I, I just don't have whatever it would take to make this easy. And I've spent a year trying to find that thing, the thing that will make me complete, that will make it easy, the thing, yes, to fill my hole. Maybe it's booze, maybe it's sourdough, maybe it's cheese, maybe, maybe it's vegetables, maybe it's work, Maybe it's sleep, maybe it's staying up, maybe it's going outside, maybe it's hygge. Maybe it's reading or podcasts or friend Zooms or dance parties. Maybe it's watching nine seasons of The Amazing Race. And some of it was better and, and some of it was worse and none of it made it easy. I tried telling myself it was enough. I tried telling myself I was enough and it wasn't, which must mean that I am not. Or maybe it just means that it is difficult, that life is difficult, even under the best circumstances, marriage, parenting, family, work, friendship, trying to be a just and decent person. All of it could just be really, really hard not to mention changing everything about the way that we live and being cut off from lots of the things that make that bearable in the first place and being afraid for your life and fearing for the lives of people you love and losing some of those people and not being able to say goodbye and not having any outlet for anything and not sleeping that well for a year Maybe it's all incredibly difficult and we're actually doing our level best or doing our best to do our best, which no is not always sufficient to the task, which means we struggle and fail and fight and feel and cause pain. But maybe it would not be any easier if you were someone else or if someone else were you, or at least it wouldn't be easy. Maybe it's just hard. Maybe, maybe that means that you are not a piece of shit. And more surprisingly, maybe I am not. Maybe together we have tackled incredible challenges, things we didn't know or believe that we could do, things others suggested we were not up to. We've 
done them and maybe whatever is coming together we are enough As always, this sermon was recorded live on Zoom at Gilead Chicago. If you want more from us, www.gileadchicago.org or send us an email, info at gileadchicago.org. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, Venmo, PayPal, probably Grubhub at Gilead Chicago. See you next week.